scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 22, and we're jumping partway into the story in the life of Abraham. Beginning at verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught on a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of which the Lord shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham turned to his young men, and they rose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. The word of our God to us today. Well, it is exciting to always have uh, speakers to come to us in chapel, and Dr. Dan Reinhardt is going to come and introduce our speaker. Dan is pastor at Bethel Church here in town, and is my good neighbor. We live across the street from each other. Yes, we do. We've really gotten to know Mark and Jen and enjoy them very much. <coughs> President Maxwell suggested that I should introduce the speaker because I know her better than him, <laughs> and that's very true. This is my dear wife, Anne. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we pastor together in that sense. I'm lead pastor at Bethel Church, but Without Anne, I really couldn't do much in my life, quite frankly. God pairs you with someone that you need, and uh, looking back over the decades, that has been true in my life. And when I was thinking about introducing her, 
a scripture came to mind. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Ladies and gentlemen, Anne Reinhardt. I was afraid that might be a little scary <laughs> because actually I am probably here today and I know I am who I am today because of him and what he has built into my life and given to me. Well, I am really honored to be here today and speaking to you. This is a very unique opportunity for me because I've been blessed by God with just an ordinary, average life of a stay-at-home mom and wife, the mother of four kids that are all grown now. But I've tried to serve God out of the person he has made me to be and in the place that he's put me to minister. And today, that happens to be Prairie's Chapel. I'm going to share with you today about the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. This name gives us more to learn about God and his salvation. And what I really like about this name is that it comes out of that story that we just heard. And stories are such great ways to learn concepts. We've heard the story in the scripture today, and I'm going to pull out three truths that I've gotten from a Dr. David Murray. The first truth is, God demands sacrifice. The Israelites knew that sacrifice was required for sin. Cain and Abel had sacrificed. Noah had sacrificed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had all experienced Passover many times. The sight of the lamb being slaughtered and the blood sprinkled on the door for their protection. But this was new. This was a startling nature of sacrifice. Isaac, a person, a human being, Although this demand was new, it was appropriate. A human sacrifice for human sin. The second thing we learn about sacrifice from this story is that God dictates the sacrifice. In verse 2, God was very clear. Take your son, Isaac, your only son, whom you love, to the land of Moriah, the place I will show you. So God is the offended one. And he dictates what and how that sacrifice should be offered to him. In Genesis 4, we are told that God was pleased with Abel's offering, but he did not find favor in Cain's offering. So um, we know that God dictates what the sacrifice. The third thing we learn about sacrifice is that God substitutes the sacrifice. In the sacrificial system, a life was given for another life. And the Israels were very aware and familiar with animal sacrifice. They were accustomed to the firstborn son, the knife slitting the throat, the blood, the smoke, the carcasses. But not a human life. That's what the Canaanites were doing. But here we have Abraham and Isaac 
obeying God's directive. Everything was prepared by them. The altar, the wood, the binding, the fire, the knife. Isaac is laid out on the altar, and Abraham is there with the knife. The knife is raised, and then we hear, Abraham, stop! <laughs> God had provided a substitute. Isaac is unbound, and the ram is laid on the altar. Now the father and son watch the sacrifice together. The smoke, the smell, the heat, how close they had come. But this is the moment where we meet Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. We deserve to be the sacrifice, but God will see to it, and that makes our sacrifice no longer necessary. So these are the three points that the Israelites would have understood very well about sacrifice. God demands sacrifice, God dictates the sacrifice, and God substitutes the sacrifice. But there is one more point that we understand much more clearly now. This is a truth that the patriarchs could have never imagined because they didn't have enough light, enough knowledge yet. But this is a truth that you and I have, and it is much more amazing than any other truth. The fourth point is, God became the sacrifice. However much Abraham and Isaac grasped as they stood there, they could never have imagined this. But the, un but the Son of God understood it as he watched from heaven, this scene of Abraham and Isaac. He knew that he would be the substitute ram. He knew that as time came to come to earth in the flesh, and as that cross loomed closer, as he was bound and laid out on the altar, the knife of God raised and the flames of justice kindled. But there was no stop. Heaven was silent. Heaven was dark. The knife was not just raised, but plunged. The wood was not just arranged, but set afire. He didn't come off that altar as Isaac did, and there was no bah. He became the sacrifice. He saw that nothing else would do. He saw that nothing else would satisfy. He had seen thousands of sacrifices, and not one could deal with one sin for one second. So he gave himself. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord's provision. And this is what we commemorate every time we go to the communion table. So is this all Jehovah Jireh means to us? It is an astonishing, life-changing provision of God. And it is the key provision. But is it the only provision? I don't believe so. This is not the only provision of God. Jehovah Jireh is not translated, the Lord did provide. It is translated, the Lord will provide. And it's still going forward today for me and for you.
it seems to me that this is where our personal relationship with God gets really interesting. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we see God initiating and telling Abraham what to do. And Abraham has to believe and trust God and carry out the directive. As Abraham stepped out in obedience was when God stepped in and provided. I found in my Christian life that there's this symbiotic relationship where I am seeking God and striving for to live for him, obeying him and serving him. And he is there with me, guiding, living in me, working in me, and providing or not providing as he sees fit. So whether God is yes or no, left or right, it is this give-and-take relationship that God and I move through life together. And it is a life of all different kinds of provision. I'm going to share with you some stories from my life of God's provision and my experiences and my learnings. And I was a little hesitant because I don't want you to think that this is the way God works necessarily for you. So don't try to copy my experiences. Think about your own stories of your own lives. Think about your families, your parents, your experiences. We are all so unique, and God is working in each of us and writing our own stories individually. Another interesting learning I had working on this topic was that I thought, okay, I'm going to put this nice, ordered, outline, sequential process of God's provision. And I tried for several days to get my mind organized about it, and I just couldn't. And then I thought, you know what? God's provision isn't usually organized and ordered and outlined. It's very individual and specific to each situation. So I decided I am just going to share with you my random learnings about God's provision in my life. The first thing that I learned was that God blesses us through others. We often receive blessing because of what other people have obeyed and sacrificed. The heritage of our parents and our grandparents. Or the heritage of a school like Prairie. All of the past and present leaders and staff and donors. So many have given so much that you can learn and be blessed today in this place. One specific example that happened to, uh, to me, when our daughter was in high school, she was excelling in her piano. And I thought it would be a really good idea for us to have a small baby grand piano for her to continue to progress in her piano. So I began to look for one. And I did happen to find a used baby grand for sale in our town where we lived. But we had no resources. So one day I just happened to mention to my mother that I was working on this, and she said, you buy your piano, the resources will be there. Well, I did, had no idea that my parents had decided that one and only time in my whole life that they ever gave their kids a chunk of money, and it was sufficient to cover that piano. My parents had provided that time. Another time, we had a dire financial situation, and we were only talking to God about it. But an acquaintance 
met with my husband and asked him, kind of was drilling down about our situation and our life, and so Dan reluctantly said a little bit, well, this man revealed that God had specifically told him to come to Dan and provide a substantial, temporary, financial alternative for our situation. So God's provision came through that man that time. God's provision also comes through protection. It's not all about what we acquire. It can be, blessings can be in the form of sparing us from trouble. Our blessings can be the struggle that we did not endure. We lived on an acreage and we had a grass fire one day, but the wind was blowing away from the house. Or we hit a deer one day in our vehicle, but only our vehicle was damaged. No one else was hurt. And you have all heard stories, I'm sure, of how uh, damaging those kind of things can be. So God has provided protection numerous times in my life, way more than I could ever share here. God can also provide before we even know that we need provision. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son. And God, you know, is very good at dictating timing. It's not always our schedule, but usually in the end we see that his timing was right. On Jehovah Jireh, on the translation of Jehovah Jireh, this concept comes through sometimes of God seeing ahead of time. And actually, the Latin foundation of the word provide gives us that. Pro means before, and videre, or video, means to see. So often, God sees before. Well, this happened in our life one time, too. We were moving to Calgary, so we were going and trying to figure out where we were going to live and what our lifestyle was going to be like in this new situation. And I was especially drawn to northwest Calgary because they had beautiful trees. We hadn't had trees where we lived before. But the most logical, God's provided way seemed to be in northeast Calgary. Well, that wasn't really what I wanted, but it was the most logical thing to do, so we did it. And little did we know that in a few years after that, there was a huge development that went in and raised the value of our property. And it was a great blessing to us. In fact, it helped us have extra resources for the ministry that Dan was doing at that time. So God knew ahead, even when we didn't know. But God's provisions are not just material things. It's also for my spiritual condition and my growth. You know, I like easy fixes. But it seems like God is more interested in the thorough fixes than I am. I really don't think God is into band-aids. And God knows me so well, and he knows just how to work with me. So at this one point in our life, I was struggling with discontent. I was tired of that place and that situation, and I just wasn't happy. But neither was anyone around me. And I didn't want to live like that, and I didn't want to have that kind of an attitude. And so I worked on it, and I prayed about it, and I struggled, and it wasn't resolved. And finally I said, you know, Lord, I just I have this deep discontent, and I can't solve it. 
You have got to solve it. And so a couple months passed, and one morning I was in church, and it was great worship like we had here this morning, and I was thoroughly enjoying myself, and God came in and spoke to me about that discontent and completely dealt with it in that very moment. And so I was very glad that I was just set free that morning from it. Another time that God blessed us was um, we were uh, ministering in a place, but we didn't have very much opportunity for seminars. We didn't live close to Prairie then, so we couldn't go hear the good speakers, and we didn't have any outside ways to help us grow. So we Dan and I talked about this and prayed about it and said, Lord, you know, is there some way that we could get more input into our lives, some new, fresh input? Well, it was just a few weeks later that Dan got a phone call from an organization asking him to be on their board. But the really significant part about this was that they had a conference once a year somewhere in North America, and they wanted to send every board member and his wife to that event. And for 25 years, we went to those conferences, got to hear amazing speakers, got to sit around the table with fascinating Christians and the experiences they were having, and it was amazing learning for us to be able to have those experiences. God has also given me provision of situations that I never imagined. And this is an experience that I'm learning right now in our move to Three Hills. When we first started to consider this transition, we figured this was time to downsize. So we're thinking we're going to get a smaller house, we're going to have less commitment, we're just going to move toward a more simple life. And when you're our age, you start thinking about leaving room in your life for possible physical ailments or just whatever might come along. But that was the direction we were going to move. Well, as we did the house search and worked on figuring these things out, it ended up that we did not downsize. In fact, in the last three years, it seems like God has ramped up our ministry and has given us new opportunities that we'd never thought of before. I can tell you, I would have never imagined in a million years that I would ever be standing here this morning. So sometimes he just works in different ways than we'd ever imagined. And then in God's provision, there's this whole question of our involvement and God's involvement. Abraham obeyed quickly, and God provided for him. So it's easy to ask, what is my part and what is God's part? Well, on the one hand, we can't just sit here and do nothing and expect God to bless us. Imagine a sailor praying that he be speeded on his way, but never put up his sails. He's not playing his part, and he provides no way for God to bless him other than a complete miracle. But the sailor who diligently puts up his sails and sets his boat in the right direction can definitely pray for the fair winds to speed him on his way. But receiving God's provision is not rubbing that genie in the bottle, and we cannot treat God like our personal vending machine. So, but even then, sometimes God just does it. Well, this happened one point in our lives. We had been in ministry for 18 years, 
and Dan was feeling like he wanted a sabbatical. He wanted a bit of time out and a time to get to learn a bit more. Well, since we didn't just want to beg on God for everything, we saw the opportunity for a financial investment. So we thought, well, we'll do this investment, and with the money that grows out of it, we'll put that toward his sabbatical. Well, that might have been a good idea, but in this case, I guess that wasn't what God want, wanted because it went completely broke and we lost every dime. But shortly thereafter, Dan was directed to a fully scholarshiped doctoral program. It was perfect for our situation, and it was totally God's provision. None of our works were a part of it. We took our family of six to Kentucky for one year, and it was very impactful. But that great blessing taught me another learning. Because the experience of receiving such a large gift shifted our thinking. And we had to learn that because God provided largely that time did not mean he would do it the next time. And you know, when you know God could do it, it's so easy to think that next time he would do it. But I had to learn to be careful to not assume anything about God's provision. In my life, God seems to decide how and when he will work and what way he will do it. But I also have some questions about God's provision. You know that piano story? I took the initiative and I went out and found the piano before we had the resources. Well, uh, Dan grew up in India and we thought at some point we may go to the mission field. We ended up never serving on the mission field. But we did have a dream, and we prayed that God would give us an opportunity to take our four kids on a missions trip. So I would hear different ministries present, and different opportunities would come along, and I would pray, God, is this the one that you want us to take our children on? Is this the way we're going to go as a family to the mission field? But I never pushed the issue. This was a big financial commitment. And maybe I didn't have the faith to pursue it. Nothing just ever seemed to click. I didn't feel compelled to initiate it. And so there that dream sat. Well, our kids were just leaving home, and that vision was in the process of dying when one of our friends had a passion to take their kids to the mission field. They picked the place that they wanted to go, and then they went and sold their house to put their investment uh, into, the cot, into the expenses for the trip. Well, when they stepped out in faith like that, the financial support began to come in, and they ended up being totally funded for their trip. So they went and bought another house in Canada and rented it out while they were gone for about the nine months that they were overseas. As I watched them, I wondered... What about that opportunity for our life? Was I the sailor who did not raise my sails? Did I not trust enough for that dream? Or was it not necessarily what God had for our family? Was the year in Kentucky his plan and not necessarily time overseas? Those are the wonderings that I have about that opportunity in life. 
So you see, I don't have it all figured out. God is not my personal vending machine. It is still a day-by-day adventure with God. So there you have my mishmash of thoughts about God's personal provision in my life. When you have received that crucial key provision of God's sacrifice, I pray that you will open your heart, tune your ears, focus your eyes on God for his personal provisions to you in your life in the days to come. God bless you as you go.